0: Welcome to episode 160 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I am Chris, and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers, and we love looking up at the night sky in this podcast. As for anyone else who likes going out under the stars, how was your week, Shane?
1: Uh, it was a good week, again. Um, super busy at work, but I uh, was able to squeeze in a couple of sessions uh, at night in the backyard, which was quite nice. Um started on, Oh gee, I can't remember now if it was Sunday or Monday of last week. Um, I was in the backyard with the 76 millimeter refractor. Uh, it was Monday night and, um, uh, seeing wasn't very good. Um, there was about a, like, it was about a 15 kilometer an hour wind. And I think it was about 15 degrees Celsius out that night, but it was kind of nice. Like I was still in shorts. I had a, you know, a sweater on, but, uh, it was nice to, um, to, to still be, you know, somewhat summer dressed, uh, cause those days are probably behind us here real soon. Um, but anyway, the intent of that night was really just to have, um, sort of a lazy observing session. Um, you know, we had recorded some podcasts earlier that day and, and I talked a little bit about my minimalist eyepiece set is really just like a wide field eyepiece and my Leica zoom. So that's all I took out. And uh, I was just really going to cruise around the sky, just playing around with the magnification of the zoom, um, you know i looked at jupiter uh, for a while i looked at uh, m31 uh the double cluster uh the polaris uh, polaris double star and um the ring m57 uh you know all were actually pretty good uh considering that the seeing wasn't that great um was able to see the donut of the ring with averted vision um which was uh kind of pleasing you know especially inside the city um but, um, you know, I don't know how long I was out for, probably about an hour.
0: Sorry, a giant deer just walked in front of me. <laughs> oh, sorry, a what? A giant deer, a buck deer just went oh. down the road in front of me. Just <laughs> started, scared me there for a second. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, sorry. Continue, Shane. <laughs> Some wildlife
1: there. Yeah. Well, after about an hour, my eye was getting a little fatigued. Uh, so I thought, ah, I'll grab the bino viewer and play with that for a little bit and uh, just use the 24 millimeter pan optics. And, you know, I was just really blown away. Um, I am really, really liking that Bino viewer. Um, so I thought, you know, I just looked at a number of objects with, you know, mono vision with, uh, with my zoom, I thought I will reobserve all of those objects now that I have the Bino viewer in play. And, uh, you know, I got to say that that night at least, the the views through mono and and uh, bino viewing were very similar in terms of brightness and uh, you know what I was able to see in terms of like magnitude, but um, it just is so comfortable bino viewing. You know you can just sit there and and it's almost like watching TV. You know like you 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 don't have to take your eye away from the eyepieces. You just sit there and look and look and look. And, um, you know, as a result, you just, I feel like I'm just seeing so much more or that I'm noticing all sorts of different things in the star field. Um, you know, the, the thing I will say though, as I'm, you know, continuing to play with these Bino viewers is it definitely, you know, it takes a little bit of effort or maybe a little bit of experience, I think, to just get the Bino viewer working for you, um, and get it set up so that you're able to merge images with your eyepieces and, you know, focus is nice and crisp. But once you get that, wow, you know, it, it really is something else. And, um, so far, you know, I really haven't found changing the eyepieces to be like a real pain, uh, for me, you know, I was sort of concerned that, uh, having to swap out two eyepieces every single time instead of one would be, you know, not so fun, but really if you're doing one, doing a second one is is really no extra, you know, amount of effort. Um, so, uh, the other thing I did that night too, um, was I was just messing around a little bit with the orthoscopics versus the, like the wide fields in the vinyl viewer, um, the 24 millimeter panoptics, there's definitely some light scatter when Jupiter was in the field of view. So I took those out and I put in 25 millimeter orthos and, uh, the, the light scatter was definitely much more controlled, uh, in the orthos. Um, so, you know, more to come on that, I guess, in terms of testing, I guess. Um, and then my other session was last night. I had the, uh, the old TASCO 10 TE out under the stars. Um, so this is the, uh, it's 76.2 millimeter aperture with a 1200 millimeter focal length. So this thing is a a very long telescope. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's from like the sixties, you know, it's old, but the optics are great. And, um, Quite a few episodes ago, I, I mentioned that I modernized it a bit. I put modern rings on it. Uh, I put a Vixen dovetail on it. And then I also took the old focuser off and replaced it with a two-inch uh, dual-speed focuser. And um, I, I just wanted to play around with that telescope t- uh, last night. The conditions weren't great, you know, to start off with. So um, I wanted to try this telescope out on my View M2C mount, um, just to see how well this combination would work because I'm, I think I'm planning to use this Tasco more as my sort of winter telescope. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the M2C I think can handle it, but the tripod that I have is just inadequate. So I think I'll have to replace that. It's, it's a, a real cheap aluminum tripod. Um, so I, I think if I really want some stability, I'll, I'll have to, um, get something a little more robust. But the mount itself did pretty good with that long telescope, and um, what's really neat about that telescope is the way it was designed like the where the focuser is on the tube, they had like a sort of telescopic uh, focuser tubes that would extend gee I bet eighteen inches out of the back of that mm. telescope um, and you would you would almost use that as like a coarse focus um, and then use the focuser wheel for for fine focus. Well, when I got rid of that original focuser, you know, there's no modern focuser that has, you know, that sort of, I guess, extension. Um, So in order to gain focus, I have a bunch of extensions coming off of uh, the, the modern focuser so that, you know, everything works. Now, what is cool about that is it allows me to use my Bino viewer without any of the like optical correction systems or like the, uh, glass path correctors. They're also known as, but basically what it is, is like, a. in order for a Bino viewer to reach focus, you have to put like a a form of a Barlow in there, which magnifies your, your power, but it also reduces your field of view. Um, and the reason you need that is the Bino viewer adds an awful lot of length to your light path. So it's basically like you're extending the telescope. Um, so the Barlow just helps overcome that so that you can still reach focus. Now, because of this, the way this Tasco TE is designed, um, the the Binyl viewer adds enough to the light path that you don't need any extenders, and it just reaches focus natively, which is amazing. Um, so I was uh, I was using the Bino viewer in the Tasco last night, um, and again looking at sort of the the usual suspects that I've been looking at lately. Um, uh, Jupiter looked pretty cool, um, although seeing wasn't great. I just see so much more. Uh, detail within the cloud bands when I'm binocular viewing, um, it it really it really takes on a whole new life, so to speak. Um, but I looked at All Mac, which was beautiful, probably my favorite double star. Um, you know, double cluster was actually really quite beautiful. Um, it, it it really uh, it really was um, uh, surprising. Actually, I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was. It was a really fun night, and, and in a way, it was kind of a, a good way to salvage that night because you and I had some loose plans <laughs> to observe last night, but um, yeah. yeah, that didn't really happen very well. Uh, the smoke came in. We've been having some smoke issues uh, this week. Again, there's there's actually, I don't know, you, yeah, you definitely saw the the fire smoke website, but there's actually quite a few fires just around Kind of where we live, uh, like grass fires and things like that. That I think is yeah. also contributing to um, to the haze that we've been experiencing. So, so anyway, I had two two really good sessions. All things considered, you know, given that uh, uh, conditions weren't the greatest, um, it was a fun week. How was your week? It was
0: uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, I've been fairly busy uh, at work as well, but uh, kind of had worked uh, quite a bit in previous weeks and took some some days off because of that so i took uh like last friday and monday off kind of thing and then this friday i took off as well um coincidentally all around new moon ha. <laughs> uh it's funny that how that works. yeah um so yeah i was able to take it out on sunday night um mike actually came out here and uh and we did a pretty good session i guess we did a few hours or something like that um and, uh, well, my, my AZ-GTI Skywatcher mount has gone back uh, for to the repair shop in, in Arizona. So it's it's going on a subtly vacation, I guess, early. Um, and because of that, uh, I decided, well, even though I hadn't quite sent it yet at that point, I hadn't heard back from them, um, I decided that I just shouldn't be using that mount anymore since uh, it seems to be a little bit broken <laughs> Yeah, probably so, a good choice. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I decided to uh, to just take out the 50 millimeter board because Mike was mm. bringing uh, his scope, his 12-inch scope out, so um, it did quite a bit, of, although I didn't send you these sketches, I sent you some this morning, but uh, I was able to sketch like uh, M81 and M82, and I sketched M13, um, I think M92, did, did a few sketches uh, and then looked at uh, other things like, um, like you know, I think was looking at these before anyway. It was Renault eighteen and M thirty three and Messy thirty one and, 31 and uh, objects like uh, like that. So you know, it was just uh, just like a pretty relaxing uh, session there. And uh, yeah, so through microscope, scope though, you know, a twelve inch scope out here where it's dark uh, really shows.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry, those sketches, was that through Mike's scope or through the 50 millimeter Borg? Uh,
0: yeah, I just sketched through my 50 Borg uh, cool. that night. And uh, yeah, so did, did quite a bit. What, what eyepieces
1: it, were, were you running there for, for a lot just, of that?
0: Just using my, uh, well, I was using my 30 and my 12 and a half. Uh, millimeters and then kind of swapping back and forth and then using uh, some nebula filters I went down and and did did some sketching actually um, more sketching on the following night too so I end up observing the next night for a few hours with my uh, with my 60 millimeter tack sort of wanted to do a comparison between what it was like to look at this stuff through um, a 50 millimeter and a 60 millimeter telescope Mm -hmm. I, I thought that would be Interesting. I thought they would be closer than they were considering how much time I've spent like with my 60 and 80 millimeter scope. And I find like the 60 and the, you know, the difference between a two and a half and a three inch telescope, I guess, well, it's just you know only 10, 10 millimeters or so. Uh, and even going to my four inch from the 60, um, you see more and you get more resolution and such, but it, it doesn't seem like a different world. Like it does when you go from a 50 to a 60, I think you, you cross some sort of, uh, or at least I do anyway, some sort of resolution threshold. And, um, and because of that, you're, you're really able to begin to, to resolve objects. So for example, with like M11, for example, which is the uh, wild well, duck the cluster there in, in the Scutum star cloud, uh you know through the 50 millimeter you can kind of sort of see maybe a star or grouping of stars like a bright spot and then maybe there's one star. Mm-hmm. Uh, but through the uh through the 60 you start to you start to see those individual uh chains of stars. And then like the same in, in M uh, M13, the globular cluster up in Hercules. Um, the 60 millimeter actually starts to, to resolve it uh, at, at, uh, you know, I guess about uh, 25 or 40 power whatever, but no matter what I did with the 50 the night before, I really couldn't pull out individual stars. Maybe, maybe there was a few um, and the nights were pretty similar, Uh, but through the 60, yeah, you're, you're definitely getting good granulation. Uh, The 50, what you see is more like waves of stars and sort of some, scattering of of bright concentrations but i I can't say that i really could see many individual stars very well anyway like you know maybe just at the threshold of vision whereas in the in the 60 you know they were they were just uh they were just sitting there but yeah i did did a bunch of sketches over those days actually i got my sketchbook here i'm just gonna flip uh flip back to it but i went and took a look at uh at a bunch of things I looked at, uh, well, I did a sketch of, like I said, the the Scutum Star Cloud and Basil One in the middle of that, I sketched uh, M13, I sketched M92. Yeah, I sketched all kinds of stuff. And it was pretty, uh, pretty good nights that, that we were having there. And then what else did I look at? Well, oh, I ended up, uh, getting a really good session and, and decided to sketch, uh, in the 60, the swine nebula and the eagle mm-hmm. nebula, in the same field. Oh, very cool. And also, uh, M8 and, uh, and the Trifid M21 and 20 region, um, in the same field, a few, um, the, you know, I kind of had them on the same page. It's kind of not really representative of, uh of what, what they, you know, sort of would look like on a star chart or something like that. But, you know, through the, uh, through the telescope anyway, you can, uh, you know, really, really get a feel for them. But yeah, definitely the 60 provides like a level of, of resolution that you just don't quite get through the 50.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, <laughs> however, the 50 millimeter has an amazing trick and that is to reveal, which I love Large, fainter nebulas, uh, I think a little bit better than the sixty. You're you're just operating at low enough power that um, I found like I could see real. I can see really subtle details in large, large nebulae. So I was looking at and I did a sketch. I think I, did I send you my sketch of the California Nebula? Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, w- was that last week that you would have sent it? Yeah, I think you did. Yeah. Let me. I'll yeah, check that- as you're talking here, but.
0: Yeah, that was last uh, Sunday. Uh, I was observing with Mike and, and decided to take a look at that last. Actually, I just decided to see if I could even see it mm-hmm. because I didn't know that I'd be able to see it in a 50 millimeter. I, I've seen it in binoculars from from really good sites like the grasslands or Cypress Hills, um, which are dark sky preserves here where we live. Um, but I, I've never tried to look for it just in a 50 millimeter uh, monocular telescope, I thought perhaps it's not even going to be visible. I, I actually didn't know that I'd be able to see it. Um, but even without a filter or anything, I could clearly see it. And I thought, whoa, it's quite visible. And so I put my uh, hydrogen beta filter and my H beta filter in. And uh, man, you could really, like, I could really see a lot of detail, like a lot of structure in it, which which surprised me because typically, in, in the larger instruments I've used to view it, I haven't been able to see much in the way of structure at all mm-hmm. uh, Maybe just some hints at it but it was it was quite clear um, this the structure that's visible. and so then um, last night I went out actually I, I went out on Tuesday I was working on a different project and and Tuesday ended up being a bit of a bust because that's when the smoke really moved in like crazy. Mm-hmm. I could see it coming and I was observing. Jupiter and Saturn, and then the smoke human covered those just as it got dark. And I went up into the Northern part of the sky and took a look at, I, I did some observing of M 34 and I planned to sketch that cause I knew that would be, um, the area in, in the clear part of the sky, the longest, I took my sketchbook and pencils out, but I, I, by the time I was ready to sketch, which was about 30 minutes into the session, I, it, it was getting covered already. So I never, never even got a sketch off that night. Um, but then last night, like you said, we uh, we had planned to come out. I, I think Mike even had planned to come out. So Because that was looking like it was going to be an awesome, awesome night. And you kind of mentioned something about smoke. And I kind of said, that Shane, he's always looking for smoke. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah,
1: that's then, that's what I'm known for. <laughs> then,
0: then I got out here and I was like, that Shane was right. There's well, a lot there's a lot of smoke out here. But like it was like forest fire smoke. Crazy. Yeah. Go yeah.
1: Ahead. Yeah. No, just, just a point on that. Um, an app that I've started to use more and more is windy.com. Um, and I think it may, it's probably the most accurate weather forecaster out there that I've seen. And, um, yeah. uh, I was talking to some environment Canada. So that's like our weather service people and, um, they were saying that the most accurate weather prediction model is like, it's a European based model. And I forget the name of it. It's like Euro something and some numbers, I believe windy.com uses that model and makes it available to like you and me for free. And, mm. uh, I think it's the only app that does that. And, uh, as such, it seems that, you know, the, like everything, uh, cloud wind, whatever you want to look at, it's, it's quite accurate. And, uh, um, anyway, I've been using that a lot more and I, I find that it's been helping me understand whether or not we'll be able to observe a little bit better. So,
0: yeah, I'd never really, I, and I can't recall, maybe we talked about it before and, and I, have just never really used it. And I was using the smoke finder and the smoke finder said the smoke would move in and then it would move out. And I was like, this windy app just blows. Cause it's wrong. Cause the <laughs> smoke saying there won't be any smoke and I get out here and there was, there was, a concerning level of smoke. Let me put it that way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, after you had texted me and, and you know said, uh, yeah, the smoke's moved in. I went to our second floor in the house and just looked out and like, wow, <laughs> you know, even just in the distance, you could kind of see that haze. So,
0: oh yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, very poor. Uh, oddly enough, it was it was really bad. It was it had settled, I think. And so this area here is is a little bit lower. Um, like the top of the hill here is more than a hundred feet lower than Regina, and that's like the top of a valley I'm in. And the bottom of the valley is about three hundred feet lower than Regina or more. And uh, and the smoke had just kind of settled in here. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm near the top of the hill, but uh, like looking around, like it was so thick about the first 10 degrees up. Uh, the sky was, um, was very, very thick, um, with, uh, the moon and Venus though, I could see them, uh, quite nicely. And, and I took a look at those, uh, and then I came back down for a short while and, and kind of made some podcast notes for today. Uh, but when I went, when I went back up an hour later, it was just, I mean, the sky was just garbage. Like you could see all of it was weird because you could see all of the stars, and it was a good night. It was it was um, it was really really good. Like clear, transparent, stable, except for the smoke. So then the smoke, of course, kills the transparency. So it was just like somebody turned the volume down on the stars. So I could still kind of see the Milky Way, but it uh, usually I can see it uh, to within about five or six degrees of the horizon here. But last night I could only see it within like, I don't know, 40 degrees of the horizon. You could see it overhead, but it was so muted. I was like this, I can't do anything with this guy because it's basically, I think it was maybe a little bit better than observing in my backyard. It was about as good as observing in your yard on a good night with, with no, uh, with no light pollution. But, uh, but I was a bit tired. So I thought, Hey, I'm going to go to bed and, and get up and, and do a session. So that's what I did this morning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you sent some sketches Looked like you, I, I don't know. It looked like you had a good, <laughs> a good session. Uh, how was it?
0: Yeah, it was, it was decently
1: good. Like uh, there was still a
0: little bit of smoke around. I was probably losing, honestly, I was probably losing about a magnitude, at least three quarters of magnitude, but probably more like a magnitude. So here typically we're, we're at about uh, six, six and a half in the best part of the sky. And yeah, I was probably around, yeah, I was probably like five eight, five nine kind of thing. but uh, but you know it was uh, pretty it was pretty still up top. Down below we had some wind and uh, I just had the the 50 millimeter up again. and just based on my experience with the uh, California nebula last week, um, and a recent discussion I had with uh, with one of our listeners and longtime friend is is uh, Dave Chapman anyway. Uh, he'd been chatting with me uh, this week about uh, going out uh, to the Kijimkujik Dark Sky Preserve down in Nova Scotia. And he was uh, getting up. Uh, they, they were getting up and observing Orion. And they were getting up and and had observed um, the uh, North American Nebula up by Deneb. And when I walked up the hill this morning, I could I could see that North American star cloud. And I thought, oh, that's cool. I'll do a sketch of that. So I uh, I did a sketch of the North American Nebula. Um, and a sketch of the Rosette Nebula, and I did a sketch of Barnard's Loop, all just using my uh, my 50 millimeter f5, the tiny little telescope, with uh, with the UHC filter, and uh, and I also put the H beta filter on there as well for for Barnard's Loop. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, that is, yeah, that that's a telescope that really really excels at just massive wide field low power views, uh, -hmm. in a surprising way. I was really surprised.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate what you were saying earlier too, about the difference between the 50 and the 60, because, um, I've been wondering that myself, I haven't done the the side-by-side comparison, but, um, uh, I've sort of questioned whether or not the 60 is still a a tool that's needed in the chest. Um, but you know, I, I think that they both serve their purpose
0: yeah i was surprised at the difference there in in the resolution um and again i was surprised at uh just by being able to get a couple magnifications lower in the uh in the in the 50 i guess the magnification really isn't any lower um but the field of view is a little bit wider because i'm using a 30 millimeter 80 degree and actually it's a 30 millimeter or like 73 degree and like a koenig and uh, and in my uh, my sixty millimeter, I'm using my forty uh, Pentax. Um, but yeah, I was surprised at the difference there. Just that the little telescope that that can that can reach just a little bit wider um, is is able to uh, able to give less such detailed views. Whereas with the uh, the slightly smaller field on the on the sixty, and I guess just slightly higher power, um, it just doesn't quite. Uh, get Get to that point, so yeah it, it was uh, it was pretty interesting but i don't know have you ever viewed the uh the North america through through like small telescopes yet oh uh,
1: no, i you know I, I would say the smallest one that i 've looked at it with was would probably be a hundred millimeter um, yeah you know like i I remember some great views a couple of years ago of of the North American through my uh, teleview genesis s d f which is uh a hundred millimeters and and it was incredible, but not through not through a smaller aperture than that.
0: Yeah, I'm just doing my cut. Yeah, I get about the same power. Like, strangely enough, I get about the same power. Mm-hmm. Really, I guess the power is 8.9 in the 60 millimeter, and it's 8.3 in the 50. Um, but I'm probably getting about, I don't know, be- just because of the slight difference in power and the slight difference in... In field of view, I get a fair bit larger field of view, it seems, by maybe um, a degree or so. You you just wouldn't think that that would be enough, but it, that crosses some, some sort of wide field threshold in the way that the 60 millimeter aperture crosses some sort of resolution threshold and by just backing down that 10 millimeters in aperture um you really get um you know a a different view of the sky i I still think like that 50 millimeter that you have with the uh with the field flattener in it would would probably be wide field nirvana because my edge is pretty soft Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. uh, i'm i'm losing that but yeah i'm surprised i'm surprised at, at what that little scope uh can show, you know, uh, to be able to see things like, you know, Barnard's loop, um, in a 50 millimeter telescope. I mean, I, I didn't, again, I didn't even know that would be possible, but it was very, very easy to see. And I could even see, I think it's called IC 434, which is besides Zeta Orionis, which is in the region where the, uh, what's it called? Barnard 33, the, uh, the dark horse nebula or the Horsehead nebula is. Mm-hmm. I, I could see that. And, uh, you know that the details quite spectacular, even for a 50 millimeter scope. And you can, you can get this almost 10 degree field of view. It is just awesome, and yeah, it's really, really neat. So, and then I, I also did a sketch of the uh, the Rosette Nebula up there in northern Monoceros. So uh, that was uh, that was pretty cool. Like that, really, you know, that's often seen as a or or spoken of. As uh, as the sort of nebula star cluster, where the star cluster is reasonably easy to see, but often the nebula isn't uh, as easy to pick out. I don't know if you've had that experience.
1: Um, not that I can comment on. Yeah, you know.
0: yeah. It's the the nebula tends to be fairly tough to see. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in my experience through larger telescopes. But but this level fifty, it was all about the nebula like you, you could hardly see like the, the star cluster is just like a concentration in the center. I could only see a handful of stars in it. It's, uh, it was really something else to, uh, to actually see through, through the telescope. So, um, anyway, I sent you, sent you that sketch, uh, there as well. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I was really happy. I got up, it was cold though. Like it was hovering close to zero and there was a little bit of dew. we don't get very much dew here on cactus Hill. Um, but there was a little bit of dew last night. I think the combination of like the weird weather with the smoke and that, um, combined to actually give us a, a little bit of moisture last evening. So, so anyway, those are, those are my, uh, observing notes.
1: Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm glad that we were both able to get out and, uh, do some observing because right now, you know, again, this is the best time of the year to me to observe at least where we live. It's, uh, you know, it's getting darker earlier. The, uh, the, the sky, you know, is, is fairly dark around here uh, because there's no like, you know, reflection from the snow. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, the temperatures are still pretty nice. So, uh, I'm hoping like pretty much just about any clear night I'm out at least in the backyard. And, uh, you know, when, when it's not a work night or I guess, you know, even now I, it's getting dark enough early where, you know, we could do kind of, Week weeknight dark sky trips for a couple of hours and uh, still get home on time for for a good night's sleep for work.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly. And uh, even though I'm shutting the water down here um, for for the time being, anyway, it it's nice to be able to come in here and and warm up while you, you you set the gear up, and then you come down here for half an hour, forty five minutes, while while it gets dark, and you stay nice and warm. And it just doesn't feel like even Mike commented because because we did this the other night when he came out. And he said, Oh, like it didn't really seem that cold. And and it just doesn't feel as cold. But I know I've spent a lot of time observing at these same temperatures and it have gotten much, much colder. So, uh, or like we're out camping and then like this morning, you know, it was pretty much zero. And, uh, and I did just over an hour and, you know, I was getting cold. My feet were getting cold by the end of that. And if I was going and hopping in my tent, which would be plus one or whatever wouldn't be much above zero you know i'd be really really cold and you'd be getting up and just could hardly wait to get home kind of thing whereas here you know i stumble out of bed and make some coffee and it's all good right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah it's pretty neat so yeah so uh yeah i think that's probably it for our for our time because we're on your your coin today so to speak so
1: yeah, yeah, we're a little more limited uh, with, the, with the recording time that I have, but yeah, I think this is good.
0: Yeah, hopefully this sounded a little bit better. I'm trying a couple uh, different things here, even though this is probably my last recording session out here. So uh, yeah, with that, we'll thank everybody for listening and, uh, and talk to you soon.
1: Thank you everyone for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast,